The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Tommy's here. I am here. The show today presented by Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. They'll give you a free estimate. You've got nothing to lose. Great offer going on right now from Window Nation. I'll tell you about that uh, in a bit. Uh, Washington, they lost the game um, on Sunday, Tommy. But, man, most of the conversation you would think they won the game. Are you into moral victories? Yes or no? Well, I'm not into black and white, okay? Mm. A loss is oh. not a, always just a it loss. It depends on what we're talking lost, about. It depends. Because I know before. a lot of black and white conversations we've had where, nope, he's in my book. Let me write it down real quickly. Um, but, oh, that's personal stuff. Okay, good. I mean, they lost the week before. Is that loss the same as this loss? Nope. Of course not. No, that's fair. You know? Yeah. So, in that, there's the degrees. I mean, what did they accomplish out out of this loss? The conversation of the of the team has changed from the week before. You know, uh, we're not talking about them as an embarrassment anymore. Nobody left Lincoln Financial Field embarrassed over that game last week. And I think you, I think the quarterback and the offensive coordinator did a lot to restore their credibility. They accomplished a lot, even though they lost the game. Okay. They accomplished restoring credibility. Anything else? I mean, did you learn anything? I, I, feel, I feel even stronger and better about Sam Howe now than I did in the comeback he led against Denver. I think their play in Philly was more instructive and should make you feel better then there are two wins. Um, I think that's true. I think I agree with that. I, I mean, look, I'm I'm not into moral victories, but I am into you know progress and process. And because you can juxtapose Sunday uh, with last Sunday, and you just see this massive, massive you know, one week change and everything we talked about with respect that needed to be changed offensively focused on did. I actually gave 
Eric Bieniemy an A plus on Sunday, and I gave Sam an A. I mean, I thought Sam was great. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong, but I think without that game plan, without the strategy of a lot of quick game, a lot of quick throws, screens, bubbles, sprint outs, moving the pocket a little bit, adding protection on some of the dropbacks. Um, running the football, well, you know, it, it didn't even matter necessarily on Sunday how successfully they ran it. They were a threat to run it, uh, you know, in the first half in particular. I give Eric Bieniemy a lot of credit for last week. By the way, I don't want to give Ron much credit for it, but I do think that Ron Rivera, because he said as much, and I kind of forgot to mention this on the show yesterday. Yesterday, I, I mentioned last week that there's going to be a sit-down between Ron and EB, Eric Bieniemy last week, because we heard it in the conversation about, you know, we got to make sure that what we're doing, you know, is the right thing before we even get to the players off of the Buffalo game. Um, and so I think Ron Rivera said, we can't continue to expose him this way. Can we at least add some more run potential, some more quick game. I bet you Ron Rivera, again, I think Eric Bieniemy is he gets the A+. He developed the game plan. He called the plays. He made it so much easier for him. But Ron pretty much sent out a notice last week that offensively we couldn't be what we were here at the beginning of the season, if that continues, it's going to be really hard to sustain any, any, anything resembling competitive. And I think that they did that. I, I just thought it was such a big change, and that's the kind of offense I think we need to see. If we see a lot of, let's make it easy for Sam, balls out of his hands, hits that third step, boom. Um, we got people open, and we got people that can get open, especially against most teams. And oh, by the way, we got a big horse in the backfield that they've got to respect, and we're actually going to give them the ball a little bit early in the game. Uh, it all just kind of worked. It all worked on Sunday, and yeah. it's encouraging. You know, I, I think it is very encouraging. Uh, again, if we played a schedule game at the beginning of the year, at least the way I saw it, they were two and two after four games, which is what they are. You know, and I didn't think they'd be this competitive in that in that loss to the Eagles, particularly after the Buffalo game. I give EB a lot of credit uh, for for what what he did, and I wrote about that in my column. I give Sam Howe a lot of credit for letting you know, like letting the water just slide off his back from last week, and playing with confidence and 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 moxie. I mean, his legs. Our, our, the way he ran when he was in trouble was really valuable, I thought. Uh, and I'll, I'll give, you know, if you want to give Ron credit for going to Eric Bieniemy and saying, hey, you know, we just lost 37-3. to We can't do that again this week. we got to do something different, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean. That's a lot for a head coach to conclude. Look, I don't. You know, I know that's, that's a lot for a head coach to come up with. So, yeah. Okay, let's give him credit. Nothing gets past too, him, remember. Nothing gets past Ron. I know. I, I know. But I think it was E.B.'s and Sam Howe's day. No doubt. I just 
I, I just kind of recalled after yesterday and thinking about um, the game, and and I and I did go back and watch some of the game again, not as much as I thought I would have time for, but anyway, I, I just I remembered, and I didn't say it on the podcast yesterday, but I made a big deal out of it a week ago that Ron said in that press conference after the Buffalo game, you know, first we got to kind of make sure what we're doing, you know, is the right thing. And then we'll get to the players. And I said, that is, that is Ron saying, Eric and I are going to have a sit down and, and make sure that this doesn't happen again, that we can't continue to do what we've been doing with him. We're going to get get him killed. By the way, he was sacked five times. He was pressured a bunch on Sunday, but it was also, um, you know, uh, it was three to one in terms of the quick game versus everything else. And it was just, it was nice to see. Where did you come down on the decision to go for two or not to go for two? I was fine not to go for two at that point. Uh, you know, this whole notion of going for two points, I know there's, in a lot of instances, there's an analytics-driven reason behind going for two points in a lot of cases. But I think there's a lot of macho bullshit that goes along with, with I like my coach to try to win the game yeah. in that moment. Right. You know? I mean, I think... I agree. I think... It, I think you want to say to your players, look, you fought back to this point, okay? We're on an even, the game's starting all over again, okay? It's back to 0-0. I have confidence that you can beat these guys, you know, even even Steven. Uh, I think it shows confidence in your players (laughs) that you think, okay, let's tie the game, let's get back to the beginning, because I have confidence that you guys can win. And save for a Terry McLaurin uh, catch that was ruled out of bounds, they may have done that. You know? So uh, I have no problem with, with, with him not going for two in that situation. I think it was the right move to make. And it's just, just a lot of, you know, inane, macho bullshit that's going with this. Oh, I like my coach to win in that situation. You know, win or go home kind of thing. I mean, it's just, just, just bullshit. You, 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 had just, you, you had fought back to even at the end of regulation time against a team that you were uh, an underdog by eight and a half points. Okay, you were, in a way, you were playing with house money at that point. So let's start all over. Let's go head-to-head again and see how we do. That's that would have been that was my philosophy. So I actually I was just about to say this is starting to get a little bit concerning to me. We just it seems like we've agreed too much. In fact, from Grib, Grib uh, gave us five stars on Apple. I've been listening to you guys forever. I can't believe how much you've grown together and have become one in your opinions. <laughs> That's from Grib. Uh, don't forget, you can rate us and review us on Apple, Spotify, anywhere else. Apple and Spotify is important. Five stars, if it makes sense for you, that's the nicest thing to do. With a quick one to two sentence review, it really helps us out. Subscribe and follow uh, the, us on, on Apple and Spotify as well. Um, so I'm with you. I didn't have a problem with it. But what you just said there at the end, by the way, I don't think we agree. Uh, Tommy and I agree 
maybe more on, on things recently, but I, I think it's a blip. Uh, I think we will be right back well, to disagreeing on a lot of things it, soon it, enough, Grib. Um, but in wh- part, it's because they're doing a lot of things right for the first time. Well, I think what you just said, though, at the very end, doesn't connect with a lot of people. I don't want to speak for a lot of people. It didn't connect with me. I think, actually, if you really felt that they were kind of lucky to be there because they were the lesser team, then you should think about, you know, taking, you know, one swing on one play. It's when you think you've got a chance to win with multiple plays in an extended game that you go to overtime. But but anyway, that that aside... I my position, Tommy, was I was okay with it too. I and I explained why yesterday, and I'll net it out for you. First of all, I didn't feel like it was one of those games where they were so much the lesser team and their best chance was on one play. You know, let's do one play rather than going head to head with these guys because they're so much better. I didn't feel that way on Sunday. I, they they had three 75-yard touchdown drives and a 64-yard touchdown drive. They played at a very high level. It was a high-level game on um, both teams. Secondly, yes. I did not feel good about a condensed field play. Their success was in space on Sunday, attacking Philadelphia's secondary, and you were giving their secondary a chance to play more even up on a condensed field. Those were my reasons but I want to I want to read a few tweets because this was this was a major topic, and I, this is why you know when we can talk about games during a season, yeah. it's so much better um, because things like this pop up, and it was a very um, emotional uh, response on Ron's decision to kick and go to overtime. So this was from Burgundy Mike. Burgundy Mike wrote me on Twitter. You can follow Tommy on Twitter at Tom Lavero, T-H-O-M. You can follow me on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. I was very surprised that this was your take. Pretty lucky to hang with them, really. They were always going to be big favorites in overtime. Um, Strongly believed that uh, the odds to win were much better going for it. It was a 50-50 proposition. Uh, John agreed with me. He said, I agree. We saw enough Riverboat Ron last week. Give Give the boys a chance, and he did. I think he's talking about going for that fourth down in the Buffalo game. From Lewis, Lewis wrote, reasonable take. I didn't think about it as much as I wished for it right after the Dotson touchdown catch. Guess I was thinking more about if you had told me before the game, we've got a two-point conversion to win it, you take it all day long. But as you say, Kevin, with context, they were toe-to-toe. From David on Twitter, we had to go for two. We had them on the ropes, and they would have choked if we did. And this from J-Rob. If you're okay for not going for two, then you're okay with them losing. What a gutless coach. Way to show your team. Yeah. Way to show your team you believe in them. 31 of 32 coaches would have gone for two. Maybe not Belichick. So I guess he's down to 30 out of 32. So um, I do love all of this. And let me just begin with this. on Because I covered this a little bit, but not as much as I want to do it right here with you. And in follow-up to these tweets. I think this is one of those issues that everybody gets super emotional about, but there's not a clearly wrong or clearly right answer. There are reasonable sides to both of this, although I agree with Tommy, uh, and I'll address the J-Rob tweet in a moment. Um, This idea that, you know, you're gutless if you don't do it, that's 
Th- that's ridiculous. That's nonsense to me. In fact, I think you can make the case that you're gutless if you don't send your team into overtime to compete with the other team in a real football game. But I'll get to that in a moment. But um, I-, I think, you know, here's the problem with everything we discuss, and it can be encapsulated into this two-point conversion conversation. We don't have any of the vital information to actually really have a strong conviction on any of this. Because these teams, when during the week, there are two to three two-point plays that they have going into a game. Some weeks they feel really good about the plays. Some weeks they're like, these are the best we got, but man, that defense, the way they match up, may not be the game to go for two unless we have to. Um, and then, by the way, three hours of a football game with new information may change the way they thought at 1 o'clock. Like, at 1 o'clock, they've got their plays, this is how they feel, but by 4 o'clock, they may feel differently. Look, I say that understanding. We don't have enough information about anything we talk about. Um, but Well, that's it. Look, yeah, this, but, is the, this is what I've always talked about. The difference between information and knowledge. Right. We don't have the knowledge of what they do. Well, we don't have the information either, but we've never let the lack of it stop us from opining. And we're and we're certainly not going to start now and saying, oh, well, we don't have enough information because we would have no show. Um, but let me get to two of the specific tweets. Burgundy Mike, you know, wrote that um, that he was surprised with my take. It was pretty lucky to hang with them, really. They were always going to be the bigger favorites in overtime. Um, I don't know why you would be convinced, Burgundy Mike, that they'd be a big favorite in overtime. They were a big favorite before the game started. I don't have that number. If anybody has the in-game overtime uh, money line, send it to me on Twitter. I would guess that Philly was probably minus 130, minus 125, somewhere in that general area. There's no way that they were an overwhelming favorite or a big favorite. They were probably a a favorite because they were the home team and they were the perceived better team. But these two teams had gone at it for three hours, and it was 31 to 31. You know, either team that won the toss was probably capable of winning it on their first drive or at least scoring points on the first drive. As far as pretty lucky to hang with them, that's where I would just completely disagree because it's it, it's your opinion. It's not the way I felt, Tommy. I felt like this was a tightly contested game and that Washington wasn't lucky to be in it at the end. Now, if you want to say they're lucky Philadelphia didn't walk it off rather than score a touchdown because they had an opportunity perhaps to walk it off with a field goal. If you want to say they're lucky that Curtis Samuel didn't catch the pass on the play before Dotson because the game would have ended, understood. Um, I think you know they're also lucky that, that Terry McLaurin's catch in overtime wasn't called a catch on the field. So there was a lot of that. But anyway, I just didn't feel like they were lucky to be in it. Before the game, I may have felt that way, not watching it. I thought that that was a, an absolute great football game, high-level football game played between two teams playing very well. I'm not saying Washington's better than Philadelphia. I'm just saying they matched them throughout the day. Remember, they had a 10-point lead in the first half. Um, And then as far as this J-Rob, when he says, if you're okay for not going for two, then you're okay with losing. What a gutless coach. Way to show your team you believe in them. 31 out of 32 coaches would have gone for two. That's definitely not true. 
Okay, it is still in the NFL the um, uh, the majority. I don't know how much of the majority. The majority of coaches in the league still kick and go to overtime. I mean, there was a time, you know, 10, 15 years ago where nobody ever did it, really. Um, but I, it, you're, you're just wrong. 31 out of 30 or 30 out of 32 coaches would not have made the decision to go for two. There are more now than ever before, and it wouldn't surprise me if a third of the coaches – uh, would have gone for two. Um, but context is everything. You can't, you know, the math is one thing, the analytics, there's in-game reality context that's all taken into right. consideration. By the way, I, I mentioned this on radio this morning. I r- specifically recall, I think the first time I saw a team go for two to win the game at the end of a game. And it was years after the two-point conversion was put into place because really teams just didn't do it. They were like, oh, no, 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 we're going to go to overtime. Um, Mike Shanahan's Broncos beat the Chargers. It was like 36 to 35 or 38 to 37, something like that. And he went for two at the end of the game to win it. And I, and I remember saying, and it was probably like 2002, 2003. So I remember saying, man, that was, that was really cool to see the game end that way. Um, I was also really excited about it, if I recall, because I had San Diego plus the points, and I could only <laughs> lose if it went to overtime. Um, but to your point, I think J-Rob's description of not going for two means you're okay with losing and what a gutless move and way to show your team you believe in them is just like one I don't want to say limited way to look at it. It's just one way to look at it because the other way to look at it is sort of the what I think you were describing, which is that going for two is a move that actually shows that your team or shows your team, we don't have belief that you can win this game in overtime, so we're going to go with a borderline flip of a coin to win it rather than letting the players decide it on more than one play. Like that's the fallacy of the you're gutless if you don't go for two and win, you know, mantra. It sounds tough, but it's really, when you think about it, the battle cry of a team that doesn't think they're as good as the other team. You know, not always. I would agree with that. Not always, but. I would agree with that. I think it's, it's, it's uh, you know, I shouldn't have used the analogy found money because that, I let me take that back. Yeah. Uh, because that's not what I meant. I, I'm more inclined to, to agree with you on the way the game unfolded and how competitive they were. But you could argue that uh, going for two shows a, a, a sense of fear that your team's not capable of playing with them. Right. Absolutely. Now, now Tommy, you know, I, I'm I'm saying that, and you're saying that, and it's it, it, you can make that case. The truth is, we live in a world where going for two in the win is perceived to be the ballsy move, you know. But I I, I just don't think I I really do think you can look at it as man that coach doesn't think they they can win the game in overtime. Why would he see in that moment? I didn't view Washington as this plucky little underdog that, you know, had hung in there through blind luck and had the opportunity to step to the roulette table and scream red, you know? Like, I just didn't feel that way. And I think you can make the case that when teams do – look, if you have a really good two-point play, like, you go into that game and you're like, I got the play. 
Oh my God! You know the the Philly play in the Super Bowl. Like you got some sort of play that there's no way you've practiced it, and you know based on the way they play defense on two point, this is like this is a ninety percenter going in. And if we get the chance we, to win a game, that's one thing. But if you aren't really sure, and the chances, you know, historically are like 48.4% over the last 10 years on two-point conversions. By the way, somebody sent me a tweet, and I got to find this. It's just, it was, I forget your name. You sent me a tweet that said two-point conversions to win games at the end of the game are even lower than 48.4%. I, and you, you said, I don't have the number, but I've read that before. That wouldn't surprise me, but I don't have that data. But somebody sent that to me. But the, the point is, there are situations where maybe you feel like it is your best chance to win without suggesting we're not good enough in overtime, but you've got a really good play. But I think you can also make the case that, you know, I don't want to call it cowardly um, if you go for two. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but... Uh, you know, I think you send a message to your team. Yeah, we're kicking this mother, you know, MFR, and we're going to overtime because we're the better team, and we're going to kick their ass. You know, in overtime, we're not putting this on one play where a flukish, you know, tip of a ball at the line of scrimmage could end it. We're 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 just as good as them, and we can win this game in overtime. Yeah. Anyway. You know, there are no absolutes. There's no, there's not an absolute two-point rule, you know, across the board. You know, it's not a measure of courage or confidence all the time. Okay? I yeah. mean, every every play is a different situation. And uh, I just think that, you know, I think what he did was defensible. Me too. Now, I did not like his explanation after the game. I know. You know, he's just... I know, they were tired. We were gassed. I mean... Well, weren't the Eagles gassed, of too? Co- of course, you could say that. And I mean, it's just, he's not great. And I, I hate to really crush him because that was a heat of the moment. Uh, and you could tell he was really fired up, I think, over the Terry call. And he was, you know, they just had a battle. You know, this wasn't a beatdown like the week before. They, yeah. had a, they had a legit chance yeah. to win that game. And that was a crushing... Uh, ending to the game. Um, I will say this: the um, in going back and and just watching the, I, I think the play that I'm most frustrated with is that third and seventeen in overtime. They came with six on the pass rush, but they played ten to twelve yards deep in coverage, and they just gave up nine crucial yards way too easily. I think that's a play Jack Del Rio has to be kicking himself over. Now, maybe it wasn't called that way, and maybe they just played it that way. Um, but Cooley said this yesterday. In that situation, you got to be up. You can't give up yards because of, you're not playing third and 17 not to give up a first down and let him kick the field goal. You don't want him to kick the field goal because it ends the game or it could potentially end the game. That was a frustrating play, and it followed, by the way, a horrible intentional grounding call against Philadelphia um, because he was not in trouble in the pocket. He That was a miscommunication with the receiver. But whatever. Uh, that was the one play in going back 
that I really think they are kicking themselves over. He he played it aggressively in that he sent two extra pass rushers. You know, he was like, we're going to make him make a quick decision and throw it and hopefully throw it incomplete. But he didn't back that up with better coverage. He backed it up with soft coverage. And Jalen Hurts was awesome on Sunday. I, I thought he was great. I thought the Eagles were really good on Sunday. I thought it was their best game. And we've seen, I've seen all of their games this year because all of them have been standalone national television games leading into this game. I thought by far and away that was their best offensive game. And uh, I hate to say this because I don't like the Eagles and I can't stand the Eagles fan base. I'm just a big Jalen Hurts fan. I was at Bama. I was at Oklahoma. I was when he got it going two years ago when he got the opportunity. There's something about him that just reeks of winner and leader. And uh, uh, I, I, you know, I, I hated that he played well Sunday, but they got a good team. And Washington did go toe to toe with them. They went toe to toe. Didn't yeah. didn't Brian Arakpo say that one year about going toe to toe with Seattle? And it was like they scored late to cut the lead to eight or something like that. The final I score was, looked close. Was a, I think it was a Monday night game. Yeah, it was. You're right. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about the defense when we come back. I also want to talk about the uh, the Giants in that debacle uh, last night. The baseball playoffs start today. We'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, first, however, Window Nation right now, has this deal going on, all right? Get two windows free for every every two you buy, plus put no money down, make no payments, and pay no interest for two years. If your old windows are hard to open, hard to close, drafty, leaky, now's the time to call Window Nation. Take care of it now before the cold weather arrives. The weather's changing, the air is getting cooler and eventually colder, Do your windows work properly? If they don't, you are losing thousands of dollars in higher heating bills this winter. Uh, Everybody's got super high interest rates now. Window Window Nation's keeping it at 0% interest until the year 2025. Call them at 866-90-NATION. Go to windownation.com. Mention my name. You'll get a free estimate. You've got nothing to lose. They'll give you a free estimate. They're not going to pressure you into making a decision. You can shop the offer all you want. I promise you, you will work with a company with a great product, a company that will make sure it's done right, and this is a really good deal. Buy two, get two free, no limit. No money down, no payments, no interest for two years. Save thousands on your new windows and your new energy bills. And your energy bills, excuse me, all the while upgrading the look and feel of your home. 866-90-NATION, windownation.com. Mention my name, Kevin Sheehan. They'll give you a free estimate, and they'll take good care of you. How concerned are we with the defense after Sunday's game? We'll get to that right, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This segment of the show brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. They will give you a cash deposit bonus when you make that initial deposit. $50 minimum on your initial deposit. Use my promo code KevinDC. Uh, This is the fairest place I know to wager on sports. Fair point spreads, money lines, totals, fair pricing. You get paid if you win. Uh, By the way, I just pulled up my bookie at mybookie.ag. Washington, a a 6.5-point favorite, down a half point from yesterday over Chicago. The total, 44.5. By the way, that's some confidence in Washington's offense. Remember how low their totals were for the first two weeks of the season, and Chicago scored 28 last week uh, as well. Um, The Terps, Tommy, they have Ohio State on Saturday in Columbus as an undefeated team against a 4-0 ranked fourth in the country undefeated team. I think it's probably the highest profile game Maryland's had in a long time. It's the noon kickoff with Gus Johnson on Fox Terps are 19 and a half point underdogs to the Buckeyes at MyBookie. Wow. Uh, go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. I can't wait for the Maryland game Saturday. I don't think they're going to win the game, but I don't think it's going to be one of these games we've seen in Columbus uh, when Maryland goes to Columbus and plays like 66 to 17, I think was the score. I think they scored 71 year. Ohio State's just not that kind of an explosive team this year. Um, but yeah, I'm excited about it. By the way, from Jason on Twitter, why wasn't Antonio Gibson's fumble on the list of things that you didn't like? Um, because we recovered it. Don't you agree it's still a huge problem considering he's doing it week to week now? Big oversight, man. You're right. I didn't put that on the list of things I didn't like, and I didn't like that. It was a pitch and, you know, bounced right back up to him. But, God, I mean, I just think they need Antonio Gibson. Um, But you're right. He put it on the ground again, and they didn't, you know, and they recovered it, fortunately. He recovered it, fortunately. Um, So, Tommy, uh Concern level scale, zero, zero concern, five, you're massively concerned. Where are you on Washington's defense? You know, it's a bit complicated, and I heard, uh, you know, the guy from PFF 
on your show this morning. Oh, Nick Ackridge. Yeah, uh, Nick's good. Right. And I kind of agree with him in that uh, Del Rio's track record here has been their defenses get, his defenses get better as the season goes on. But uh, that means you're giving away games at the beginning of the year. You know, so that's not necessarily a, a good way to, be, to, to run a defense or to be a coach uh, in, in, you know, in this day and age. Uh, it really is surprising that uh, they have, they're not more of a force. They're not more of a wrecking force in, in opposing teams' backfields. Like the teams they have faced, some of them have been. You know, for four first-round draft picks, you would think that they, they would be meeting at the quarterback at least once a series, and that's not happening. So, Tommy, from Frederick, are you going to answer the question? Where are you on the scale of 0 to 5 concern level? I'm a 3. Okay. Did you say 3 and I missed it? No. Okay. No. Uh, um, I'm like at a 0.5. I'm just not that concerned. I understand the argument that, you know, they should be wrecking games more. Look, those are elite defenses that do that. San Francisco, their defense does that. Um, They're they're the one that does it more than any other. Cleveland's defense can do that. There are a few of them in the league. Philly's defense, you know, I don't know. I think they're kind of weak on the back end. But um, Washington's defense coming into this year, I said this is another top 10 defense. However, I did, as some of you have pointed out, I did say – if Chase Young is the Chase Young we thought he was when they drafted him, you could potentially have now a total game-wrecking player, a Nick Bosa type, a Miles Garrett type, you know, a TJ Watt type, you know, somebody who it, that that has to be game-planned for, and now all of a sudden everybody else gets freed up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we haven't seen that. We've seen Chase Young have some moments. Look, he's looked better than I think a lot of people thought he would look. I think there's still some concerns about him in the building with with respect to the scheme, but they, you know, you can't argue with some of the pressures he's gotten. Um, he had multiple pressures and another sack on Sunday. But I still think this is going to end up being a top-10 defense. The idea that Del Rio's defenses start uh, slowly and then pick up, I guess, remember last year, you know, in 2022, they ended up playing two teams. We didn't know it at the time, but Jacksonville and Detroit ended up being outstanding offensive football teams, you know, and they played those two teams in the opener. In 2021, they had the Chargers that they opened up with. Buffalo was in week three. Um, So they had some big-time offensive, uh, that whole season they did, you know, some big-time offensive teams. I'm at a 0.5, and the only reason I'm at a 0.5 is I'm still a little bit concerned with their run defense at times. And I think Sunday exposed them a little bit on the back end. I know that, uh, and I mentioned Benjamin St. Juice in my on the list of things that I kind of liked. I thought that, that he was good in the secondary, and I thought the pass rush was decent at times, especially in the first half. But um, it was a rough, rough day for the rookie, Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, and, uh, you know, you, you mentioned it, Nick Ackridge from PFF was on the radio show. He had a very low grade. They really attacked him. 
as they do a lot of rookie corners. Uh, I think the bigger issue here is they just played Buffalo and Philadelphia. And Josh Allen in the Bills just destroyed Miami on Sunday, by the way. All right? They destroyed Miami. Josh Allen was 21 of 25. He had a perfect passer rating against a Dolphins defense that is pretty good. Uh, They just faced the best offensive line, you could argue, in football in Philadelphia on their home field with maybe one of the best receiving cores and a really good quarterback. And the Buffalo game was misleading. Those of you that have said you can't give up 30-plus points in three straight games and call yourself a good defense, well, they haven't. They haven't. Buffalo scored on defense. The offense turned the ball over people five times last week. Buffalo scored on defense, and they were set up for scores multiple times. Arizona scored 16 but they in the game as a team, but they had a defensive touchdown in that game too, and another touchdown they had on another score was a field goal after a turnover where they drove all of one yard. The defense won the opener, period. Without the defense in the opener, they lose that game. The defense gave up a lot against uh, Denver early, no doubt. And then Jamin Davis completely changed the game on one play, and the defense dominated the rest of the way except for the Hail Mary. Yes. Buffalo, they, Buffalo with five turnovers had 16 points going into the fourth quarter. Sunday was different. Sunday they got off the field on third down, okay, much better than they did against Buffalo. And I'm not suggesting that they played great against Buffalo. I didn't say that. But they were not the problem against Buffalo. The offense was. The the nine sacks and the five turnovers were the problem against Buffalo. Sunday the issue was the explosives in particular against Philadelphia and I thought that you know and for those of you that want to say look if you're a great defense you get to the quarterback and you sack him well they did sack Hurts three times in the game um uh but that you have game changing plays you have takeaways I can't I can't disagree with that they're not an elite defense but I do think they're a really good defense and a top 10 defense and I think they'll prove that over the course of the year I think a lot of it has to do the feeling, the current feeling, is the two teams they just faced. And we'll see what happens against Chicago, Atlanta, and New York in the next three. Because when you look at the next three, and I, I hate doing this because you don't know what it's going to look like when you get there, but we're close enough to there. Before the season started, they were only projected to be a favorite in one of these three games against Chicago, Atlanta, and New York. Now they're projected to be favored in all three games. Yeah. And none yeah, of the three do, are good if you, offensively. If you, play the schedule, if you play the schedule game, they're set up to be five and two after three weeks. <laughs> Woo! Um, I, 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 I'd, I, I'd be thrilled if they were five and two. I wouldn't wager on five and two, Tommy. I think Thursday night's a bit of a trap. I, nah. I'm concerned no. about Thursday night. Yep. I am. I am. And at the same time, I actually think in some ways it's a pretty good matchup for them. Like, I can't see this should be another good offensive game. But Chicago's got two total sacks on the year. I think somebody uh, sent that to me earlier. I didn't look it up. I can look it up right now to make sure. They have been bludgeoned 
by teams here to the tune of 38, 27, 41, and 31 points. They have lost 14 regular season games in a row. I didn't realize that until uh, until this morning. Um, they've, they've not won since last November in a game. I think it's last November. They beat the Patriots in a Monday night game. They had a bunch of turnovers, and they won the game. I mean, they stink. Yes, they, they have, do. They have two sacks de- defensively. And yet, Justin Fields just played the best three quarters of the season. He was 96% completion percentage, 300 yards passing, and four touchdowns through three quarters. Yes, against that Denver defense. Understood what the Denver defense is. We, we now know one of the reasons we were able to explode for 35 points in two and a half quarters against them. Um, but Justin Fields is a dangerous quarterback. And they've got more weapons than they had a year ago. But I do think offensively oh, this should it. be a good game. Stop st- it. What? They're going to roll over them. Well, you it's can- going to be a festival at FedEx Field <laughs> Thursday night. Party, baby. Is this a must win? Well, it's a must not lose. How's that? <laughs> um, this morning Denton asked me. If right- they lose to the Bears... Then the conversation changes again. Denton, my producer, right before the show said, do you want to do something about this being a must-win? And I said, nah, not yet. I mean, we can do something like that on Thursday. But I did say um, on the show today that it kind of feels like a must-win, not in the same way Arizona did, because I think Arizona was more about you want to keep everybody invested and um, uh, paying attention to, it, to, the, to, to the first season without Dan. And it would have really yes. felt like a a, a pin pricked a, a big balloon if they had lost to Arizona. This one is actually more of a must win kind of a game for the right reasons, meaning that they're two and two, and there's a feeling that they're capable of being a pretty good team this year and capable of contending for an NFC playoff spot. And this is the kind of game that if you lose, you may be looking back on it in January and say, oh my God, how did we lose to that team, Chicago, that went 4-13? and How was one of their four or five wins against us and it cost us a playoff berth? Just kind of like the Cleveland game was last year. Cleveland was different. They were a better team than Chicago appears to be right now. But this is, you know, they... They're, they only play 17 of them. They count a lot more than they do in other sports. You got them at home. You got them on a short week. They haven't won. They'll be desperate. They played their best game. I understand that, but so did Washington. But I don't know. I feel like this is a tricky, tricky spot for them. I, uh, I, I don't think it's true. I can tell you this. I, I, I tell you what. Yeah. It's must not lose because if if I have them 5-2 and two in the three games after, you know, in their next three games, I only have them winning three or four tops of the rest of the games. So they're still I still think they're heading towards that Ron Rivera season special of eight and nine, nine and eight, eight, eight and one, something like that. But uh, that, uh, this is this is not they're not gonna lose. 
against the Bears. Okay. Um, I it would not surprise me if they're the Bears are in the smell test on Thursday. So it doesn't mean that I think they're going to win, but I think they're going to probably play it closer. I think there's going to be a big need for the books on Thursday night for Chicago to cover. Um, real quickly on the Monday night game last night. Good God, that was hideous. And, you know, we, we, we said last week that it's hard to imagine something worse than nine sacks and four interceptions. And, in fact, it hadn't happened in 28 years. Last night, Daniel Jones was sacked 10 times and threw two interceptions and fumbled once. Um, he had a back-breaking pick six in a game that was still there to be had in the third quarter. But there are a couple of things from the game. Devin Witherspoon had one of the great rookie cornerback games we've ever seen. Uh, it was sensational. The fifth pick out of Illinois. You know, the three corners were Witherspoon, Gonzalez, who got hurt, by the way, after grading out in the first three weeks as the top rookie in the draft um, in New England. Uh, and, you know, New England took Gonzalez after Washington took Forbes. Um, but Witherspoon was the first to go. Uh, and he ended up with two sacks, a pick six, and a forced fumble in the game. That's about as good as you can do it. And he had a couple of big tackles, too, in the game. Um, that was that was one of Did the Did you see the tippers. video of Brian uh, yeah. Dable yeah, throwing Jones. his uh, tablet at Daniel yeah. Jones? Yeah. That was not a good look. He was disgusted. No. So that leads me to this. I don't think I've ever... And I, I, I shouldn't say I, I. Of course, I have. I'm sure at some point. In recent years, I don't think I've ever seen a worse performance by an offensive line in an NFL game. And not only that, I would add to that. I don't know that I've ever seen a combination of worse offensive line play with worse play calling. They didn't. I, by by my count, they didn't run a screen until the fourth quarter. And Daniel Jones had no chance in that game. No, he didn't. None. Now, they, their, best, really didn't. their two best players were out. Andrew Thomas, their left tackle, and Saquon Barkley is rather important to that team. They were out. But they, were also, they also lost their starting center early in the game. Um, the kid from Minnesota, who we talked about before the draft, that they took uh, in the second round, I think it was, third round, and is starting and is good. They lost their left guard. Uh, Daniel Jones had no chance the only chance the Giants had to generating any kind of offense actually was Daniel Jones. He rushed for 66 yards, and every throw he made was under duress or on the run, and he still threw for over 200 yards and was 27 of 34. I, I just can't believe that Brian Dable or Mike Kafka, whoever it is, is calling, who is calling plays in New York, didn't call more screens and more quick game. Like, it's the exact same thing that happened – to Sam last yeah. week, except Sam, yes. a lot of those sacks were on Sam. I don't think a lot of the – maybe three uh, – I don't know. You want to do the F-A-U-L-T sack game with Daniel Jones? I don't think you do. But from my vantage yeah. point watching on TV, I can't remember watching a game in which a quarterback had so little chance than Daniel Jones had. I'll, no, that, that, that was an offensive line issue right there. I'll exit that game with this. 
I still am a Daniel Jones guy. I think that Daniel Jones can play. I think he proved that last year. I think if you put him on a he's not he's not elite. He's not, you know, again, I think he is a bona fide top half of the league starting quarterback in the NFL and on the right kind of a team. Um, which they had last year with Saquon Barkley healthy and an improved offensive line. And by the way, they didn't have any receivers last year. They had none. I still believe Daniel Jones can play, but my God, last night was ugly. And right now, right now, Daniel Jones for Sam Howe, straight up. Yes. You do it? Yes, 100%. Wow. I would. That took some guts. <laughs> well, not really. I don't think it took much guts. I mean, I know a lot of people listening are going to think, "Oh, you're insane. You're, you know, whatever." <laughs> no, I'll take the six foot five, two hundred and thirty pound dude who can, who has already proven he can do it at a high level at times. He has not been consistent, and he has had some awful games that have been his fault. I understand that. Last year. I saw the guy that, you know, the people that really love Daniel Jones coming out. And by the way, this team liked Daniel Jones. Jay Gruden liked Daniel Jones coming out. But last year, I saw a guy that you could win with, and they did. I mean, they they won a playoff game. They went to the playoffs. They won a playoff game. And um, this year, they have been decimated by injuries here early in the year. And it's going to be a long year. Look, more importantly for Giant fans, if they end up, you know, they play Miami and Buffalo the next two weeks. If they end up having one of these top draft choices, would you take one of the young quarterbacks that are going to be in the draft? I think the answer to that is yes, too. Because, yes, I mean, yeah, I I would, of course, right now. I mean, Sam is still, come on, right? We're still four games into this. The jury ain't in yet with a verdict. Far from it. I know that. I know that. I'll tell you what, that sounds like a poll question to me. <laughs> Good one. Maybe tomorrow. Yeah. Hold on. Let me write that one down. <laughs> um, all right. Um, let's get to your thoughts on the baseball playoffs before they start. Uh, we'll also talk about something that Jerry Jones said today. And, Tommy... Somebody passed away that I think you were a fan of. I think I've heard you talk about him before. Um, I could be wrong, but we'll see if I'm right when we come back after these words from a few of our sponsors. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. 
Tommy, on this beautiful fall day, would it be a good idea to go down to Shelley's for some lunch and some baseball playoff games? I think that would be a good spot for it. Uh, always a good idea. Always a good idea. You, could, you If you're not a baseball fan, you can sit outside on their beautiful sidewalk seating area and uh, watch all the people sweating and grunting, walking by, missing out on a good time, or you can go inside uh, and later on watch the baseball games. Uh, here's what else it is. It's also the beginning of the festive season where uh, people start throwing parties, Yeah, you know, as Christmas approaches. And Shelly's Back Room is a great place to host parties. They can host groups of 10 to 250 people, from cocktail receptions to sit-down dinners. They can make you a custom menu option to suit your needs and your budget. Okay, The event pricing varies based on the time and day of the week for your event. But if you're looking for a place to have an office party or an organizational party, something like that, consider Shelley's Back Room as a place to have your party. People will walk away talking about that memorable party that they had at Shelley's this year. Shelley's Back Room, go to Shelly'sBackroom.com for more information. Uh, yeah, great spot. And these fall days, you know, Shelley's for a cigar, for some lunch, for some playoff baseball, which gets underway today. We get four games today, four games tomorrow, and who knows, these are best of threes, maybe four games on Thursday uh, as well. So in these first-round best-of-three wild-card series matchups, uh, the Brewers are pretty sizable favorites over Arizona. Philly's a sizable favorite over Miami. Tampa is a favorite over Texas. Um, And uh, where's the Minnesota-Toronto series? Um, Yeah. That one looks like kind of a toss-up for the series. Uh, Any upsets here? Um, Of course, these things happen in Major League Baseball playoff short series. But is there a team coming out of this best of three that you like to make noise the rest of the month? I like the Marlins. You do? I mean, I think I like the Marlins against the Phillies. Uh, I, I, I think I think they've got some good young pitching, uh, and uh, they've got they. I mean, the Phillies are 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 the veteran team. They've been there before, and normally that typically helps a team in the playoffs. But the Marlins might not be aware that that they're not supposed to beat the Phillies yet. I kind of like the way the Marlins have been playing. And I, if I were to pick one upset, it would be the Marlins. It wouldn't surprise me if the Diamondbacks uh, upset the Brewers as well. Uh, the other games, I would take the Twins and and the Rays in the other two, uh, you know, wild cards. That would series. set up Tampa and Baltimore right in the next round. That would be yeah. a hell of a best of five. By the way, the the which, longest which, starts on, which would start on Saturday. Yeah, the longest shot for the World Series odds. Uh, at my bookie, the Marlins are the longest shot at plus 3,600, and then the Diamondbacks at plus 3,400 to win the World Series. Not talking about um, right. winning this best of three. Uh, what's your World Series matchup, and who wins it? World Series matchup? I'm going to say, uh, Jesus, it's hard not to pick the Braves 
as much as I'd like to pick the Dodgers, it's hard not to pick the Braves in this. And I'm going to pick the Braves and the Astros. Braves. I mean, I'd like to pick the Orioles, but, uh, you know, the Astros act as if it's their birthright to, <laughs> to go to the World Series. Well, they've been to a few of and, them here recently. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Orioles wound up there as well. Would, but but you've got the Braves over the Astros. Yes. Okay. Um, I don't really have a strong feeling. I love wagering on baseball playoffs this time of year. Love it. Uh, I love taking underdogs. Um, I love taking unders in these first games. Pretty much all the unders today are like seven and a half with some explosive offensive teams because I guarantee you most sports books need unders on run totals here uh, when people start betting baseball that haven't bet baseball all year long. I understand the greatness of the Braves. Um, and, you know, then again, I really think Philadelphia offensively is so explosive. It would not surprise me if Philadelphia ends up back in the World Series. But I'll go with the Braves and the Rays as a World Series matchup with the Braves winning what would be what their second World Series in the last three years, right? Didn't they beat Houston a couple years ago? They beat Houston a couple years ago, right? In the final? Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. Uh, I wanted to real quickly mention something that Jerry Jones said today. Jerry Jones talking as he does as the owner on 105.3, the fan in Dallas, said that the game Sunday night against the 49ers is a measuring stick game, and it is the road to the Super Bowl. It runs through San Francisco. Now, the reason I I picked this out is if you're the Eagles and you're an Eagles fan, they're the defending NFC champions. They're also the defending NFC East champs. They're also undefeated in the NFC right now, along with the 49ers. Uh, But Jerry pointed to the 49ers and said, the road to the Super Bowl goes through them. I don't know if it was a shot at Philadelphia. I doubt it was. But I bet you Philadelphia fans took it as a shot. Um, That is a rivalry in our division. That's the big rivalry in our division. And right now, there's no close second. Philadelphia-Dallas is the rivalry in the NFC East. It pains me to say it, um, but for a long period of time it's been that, and it is right now in a situation where really nothing is is close to it. Uh, That is a hell of a matchup for for Sunday night football. Cowboys, 49ers. Um, Big opportunity for the Cowboys to prove something. The 49ers, and I didn't talk a lot about other NFL on yesterday's show because it was all about the the Washington game Sunday, and we had Cooley on the show. If you missed it, Cooley weighed in. He watched the game. Uh, so go back and listen to it. But Brock Purdy was 20 of 21 in the game against Arizona. 20 you're of not a Brock Purdy fan, are you? Uh, I'm not. I'm not a I'm not a worshiper at this point. I need to see a lot more, but I did like him at Iowa State, uh, and he was one of those real gamers, and he had a lot of playing time, and I I, I thought he played well. Look, I'm not so sure at this point. We shouldn't just say that if you can stand upright and chew gum simultaneously, 
that you can probably play some quarterback in Kyle Shanahan's system. They are just so good. They run it so well, and it just makes everything so easy for the quarterback. There are answers that are so easy for the quarterback in that system. But I can't deny that he's played at a high level. I mean, you know, so far this year, five touchdowns, no picks, 1,000 yards, a 72.3% completion percentage. I mean, he's playing at a very high level. His QBR now, for the season is 84.6. Um, now, let's say, uh, now, I mean, this, this situation, let's say Brock Purdy leads them to a Super Bowl title, then, then this situation doesn't come up. But anything short of that, if Kirk Cousins becomes available to, to Kyle, does he make that move? No, I've been saying this for a while now. Uh, you know, obviously there was a time where he would have begged, borrowed, and stealed and, tr- and, and tried to yeah. do that, and Washington wouldn't trade him. But Kirk, you know, people forget this. He's 35 years old. I know. I know. You know, and and yes, he's fit and but he's he, kept himself in shape. He never misses a game. I understand he that. He never misses a game. But it's very possible, even though he's had a great start to the season, that his best football is going to start being behind him. And, Tommy, the truth is this game is really quickly moving away from pocket-passing quarterbacks that aren't mobile. Brock Purdy can yeah. move. You know, yeah. and I don't know that 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 would be. Now, if Brock Purdy ends up playing poorly, and the Forty ers you know, lose in the first round, I think that's a possibility. Um, but there will be other possibilities too. I I think the 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 Kirk to San Francisco, the Kirk to the Jets, the Kirk to any of these places. This is a conversation that's more applicable last year or the year before when he's 32, 33, 30. You know, he turns 36 before next season starts. And it doesn't mean that he didn't have another two or three years with good football left. But I don't know. I've watched a little bit of him this year. I mean, he was, I think he was was leading the league in passing yardage before last weekend. Um, He looks a little bit slower physically to me uh, when he has moved. Um, But anyway. Uh, I wanted to end the show with Russ Francis passed away. Am I right? Were you a big fan of Russ Francis? I know you are of John Mackey. What about Russ Francis? I mean, I recognize how great he was when he played. Uh, and he was, he was like, the, the nickname All World, I think, started with Russ Francis uh, because he was so talented. He was so quick. He could catch anything. He was so smart. But it's interesting, the knock on him was that he was a little bit too smart. He had a lot of different interests besides football. Right. You know, and, you know, there's this mentality in the game that if, you know, you live, breathe, and die with football, Russ Francis, you know, had a lot of varied interests. He was a great tight end, uh, you know, not in the Hall of Fame, probably not a Hall of Famer, but probably had Hall of Fame talent. Um, yeah, he's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, he was a three-time Pro Bowl player, um, two-time All-Pro. Uh, remember, he won a Super Bowl with the 49ers in 84. Yeah. He was a part of, of that team uh, with Joe Montana at quarterback. 
I I just, for whatever reason, first of all, he died, by the way, in a plane crash in Lake Placid, New York. He also lives in Cody, Wyoming. Uh, and when Cooley's on tomorrow, I'll ask him if he knew Russ Francis. I don't remember him ever mentioning Russ Francis. Uh, but Cody's right next to Cooley's town, which is Powell, Wyoming, where he lives. But I just remember those New England teams for some reason, like Steve Grogan and Sam. They the were ba- competitive. That, oh, yeah. The, AF, the AFC with the Steelers, the Raiders, the Oilers, the Colts with Burt Jones, and Steve Grogan with the Patriots, they were very competitive. Well, they lost that very controversial uh, playoff game in Oakland uh, in the 76 season um, when they went 11-3. and um, But, yeah, they had, they had great players. They had great teams. Um, and uh, I just remember those teams. For whatever reason, I kind of liked the Patriots from back then. They, they had a run during those years uh, with um, – it was Chuck Fairbanks who coached them, Tommy. Yes. Uh, they yes. had they had a run where they were in the playoffs, like I think three or four times in a in a in a five year period, and oh, they yeah. just couldn't get over the hump uh, in the postseason. But anyway, um, okay. Anything else? That's it, boss. That's it for That's the day. Back tomorrow with a Cooley film breakdown.